We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know how you get that sometimes, that dry thing in your throat that won't leave? Kind of like a brother-in-law. That's what I got. <laughs> I'm still funny. Allergies, I'm still funny. I'm still funny. So, it's been a few weeks. And um, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. They were divided. They were coming apart. And there was a couple things going on. There was that group kind of thought of themselves as super Christians um, who thought spiritually they were above the rest. But there was also questioning the credibility of Paul. And I have dealt with that pretty extensively in this letter. In 2 Corinthians, you really see that come about. And they were calling the question his apostolic credentials. We're going to see more of that tonight. One of the things about Paul that's just phenomenal in his brilliance, led by the Holy Spirit, I get it, but still was brilliant, was the way he could deal with a difficult situation, attack it from a couple of angles, come across in a degree of humility, and yet still make some unbelievable points about the authority and authenticity of his ministry. <clears throat> by the way, I use those terms a lot, authority and authenticity. And I do that because of the culture we live in today. Uh, authority of Scripture, of God, the authenticity, the realness has always been important. But in the world that we live in today that calls so many things into question, to be able to establish that something is real, authentic, genuine, and has an authority, a right, is critical. In Paul's argument today, he's going to use a word in the Greek We'll see in a few moments. That is the fundamental concept behind the authority or the right to do something inherent. And it's just a brilliant argument. He has talked about freedom that they have in Christ and the freedom that they've abused. And tonight we're going to see him talk about the freedom he has not to exercise the rights or authority that he has. In a culture where we are bombarded with people who constantly want their rights, their rights, their rights. It's important for followers of Christ to remember that more important than our right is our responsibility. Primarily, as we honor God, to reach out to people. So Paul, in verse 1, says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord, and are you not my work in the Lord? Four questions. They're kind of rhetorical. Is he free? Now, the freedom, I, I want to make this clear, and I, and I say this from time to time. We have to get out of our minds this concept of free will. By that I mean, and what happens is free will is oftentimes used to describe the fact that I can or have the right to do whatever I want. That is not the biblical concept, or that I have the freedom will to make any choice. It's up to me. What the biblical concept is, freedom. Freedom is the ability within certain constraints to work and act and to live. We, for instance, as Americans, we're free. But I'm not free to do whatever I want. 
I'm not free as much as I wish I was not to pay taxes. I'm not free, you know, well, some of these don't work anymore. I say, I'm not free to break into your house and steal your stuff, but evidently some people are. <laughs> but freedom always has a limit. And so we need to understand as Christians, as humans, we have a freedom. In the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> Adam had freedom. He was free to eat of any tree he wanted, but one. There was a limit. The fact that he could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't mean he wasn't free. He was always free. He abused his freedom and ate of that tree. So Paul says, I'm not free. I'm not an apostle. An apostle was one who had seen the risen Christ, which he says. And he says, in essence, oh, you're not my work in the Lord. You are the example. You are the living evidence. The church in Corinth of his work. There was probably no other church that Paul established that bore the credibility and bore the authenticity of being of Paul as the church at Corinth. It was primarily Gentile. And through a series of struggles, this church had been born. He had stayed there a while and worked in it a while. So in many ways, they were the mark of his apostleship. He says, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. You are the seal or you are the evidence of my apostleship in the Lord. The fact that you exist is evidence that Christ called me as an apostle. So my defense to those who examine me is this. The word defense means my apology. The Greek word is the apology. You may have heard in, um, today there's a lot of people involved in apologetics. Uh, Barry got his master's in apologetics. I think some, you know, people take classes in apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the explanation of the ministry. He says, my defense to those who examine or who look at me is this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Now, he is going to use the word for right is the Greek word ekousia. Sometimes the word ekousia is translated power. Sometimes and many times it's translated authority. It is a word that speaks of the inherent right to do something. So the Pharisees questioned the authority or the ekousia of Jesus. In Mark, not too long from now, I'll preach about that. They constantly just question that. When Jesus ran the money changers out of the temple, they asked him, by what authority can you do that? What is the right you have to do that? In Matthew and in other places, it says the people were amazed because he taught as authority, one who had authority, not like the Pharisees. So Paul now talks about the right or the authority. And he talks about, do we not have the right to eat and drink or to take along a believing wife? Like Peter probably, he mentioned Cephas. I like the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. In other words, Peter, Cephas. The brothers of the Lord, James and, 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 and Jude and others. When they traveled, they took their believing wife with them. Or do only Barnabas and I 
not have a right to refrain from working. So this is a confusing argument. <clears throat> so one of the things being used against Paul, and maybe Barnabas. Now Paul and Barnabas had out of falling away, but obviously they have come back in uh, reconciled. Was that because Paul didn't receive food and drink from them? Or because Paul didn't take his wife with him? Or didn't even have a wife? That somehow he was not a true apostle. That one of the marks of being an apostle was like Peter. To receive from them remuneration, food, drink, money. Or even to take the wife. So somehow in their twisted, messed up mind. They were thinking the fact that Paul didn't do this was evidence he was not an apostle. So Paul asked the question, do I not have the right to do that? I do have the right to do that. He could do those things. Barnabas as well. Evidently, he and Barnabas both worked or had income. Barnabas was probably wealthy. Paul worked as a leather maker, a guy who worked in leather goods. Barnabas from Acts appears to be wealthy. He gave a plot of land to the church. They sold it and used it. I've heard some said he gave all his land. Never said that. Said he gave a piece of land. He may have had a lot of land. The evidence would be that Barnabas was quite wealthy. He asked some questions. Who at the, the time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Soldiers don't serve and pay for themselves. If you plant a vineyard, do you not eat the fruit? If you have a flock, do you not use the milk of the flock? The normal thing is this who you work for, who you serve, whatever you pour yourself into, you receive a benefit, a remuneration to pay something from them. That's normative. Paul has that right, as does Barnabas, to do it. In verse 8, he says, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? Then in verse 9, he quotes Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned just about ox, is he? In other words, in Deuteronomy, he is concerned about the ox. That, that when you, in other words, they would go out into the fields, the ox, would, they would trample the stuff. They would say, let the ox eat. Well, obviously, that was to take care of it and make sure the ox was healthy and strong, especially as they were working. Well, Paul takes that analogy, and he applies it to those who preach and, 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 and started churches back then. <clears throat> he says, or, or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, Paul says, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things? He says, now, Paul saying, don't we have the right to do that? And the answer would be, well, yeah, that was their whole point. You're not doing that, Paul. You must not be a real apostle. So Paul is establishing the absolute certainty of that right. It is a beautiful thing Paul does in his argument. He draws his opponents down the road to be in agreement with him. And they're, they're probably thinking, well, that's the whole point, Paul. You don't do any of this. The other guys do. And Paul, who was masterful in dealing with opponents, only Jesus was better, sets him what's about to fall. 
If others shared the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul says, because here's what he's saying. More than any of those other guys, we, he's me, and, and, including Barnabas or whoever, we deserve that right. I founded you. I started you. You exist as a church because of me. So if Peter and Apollos and those other guys deserve that right, how much more so do I? But we didn't do it because we didn't want to take the chance that would hinder the gospel. Do you not know that those who are who perform sacred services, eat the food of the temple. And those who attend the altar have to share of the altar. Yeah, they all knew that. So the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. The Lord said, this is what I want you to do. So that is the standard. But I have used, verse 15, none of these things. Now, before I go on and talk about that, <clears throat> I want to clarify a few things. This passage, I believe, erroneously gets used by pastors and churches to somehow deal with you paying the pastor and all that stuff. I understand it. I think it's the wrong passage. Um, because what Paul is doing, what Paul's doing, is he's, he's dealing with the fact that they're being critical of him. He's establishing his apostolic authority. So I'm always a little uncomfortable in a passage where an apostle is establishing his authority to link that to my ministry somehow because I just don't think that's a smart move. The other problem I have with this is at the end of the day, those guys who use this to establish that you ought to pay pastors, in the end, Paul says, but I don't receive the pay because I don't want my, you paying me to get in the way of you sharing the gospel. We forget that part. I don't want to forget that. Let me just say this. We live in a different culture, in a different economy. In most of the world, pastors aren't paid. Most pastors in the world aren't paid or they're paid very little because the churches are so stinking poor. And they work out of a labor of love for the gospel of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't work as a labor of love. Don't get me wrong, but I love you more with my paycheck. <laughs> you, you, you have to be careful of trying to, to make these points and to hook these things and arguments that you don't run into trouble. Part of the reason you pay me is we live in America. We live in a different culture. And we are wealthy churches. I mean... Our church is wealthy, but most every church in America is wealthy compared to the world. In, in our system of life, you pay people for the work they do. Now, a lot of churches in America don't pay. In fact, half of all pastors in America are bivocational or part-time and at work. I did that. I was, you know, I've been early in my ministry part-time. I can also tell you that probably 99% of those churches never grow. 
had a guy say, this church was struggling, I may have to go part-time. I said, that'll be the kiss of death to your church. Because once you start working somewhere else to make a living, that job requires too much of your time, no matter how big or small the church is. Now, so this is not a good argument for that, in my humble opinion. Well, my not so humble opinion, it's not. You pay me because in our culture, it's different. You don't want me to be bivocational. You want me to spend my life pastoring. But I have to survive and live. So that's what you do. Now, I have the advantage at my age over time of having a few degrees and a little bit of gray hair from experience and a little bit of learning something. So I usually expect you to pay me a little bit more than when I was younger. That has nothing to do with the Bible. That has to do with just good negotiations. <laughs> but please understand that. Be, be careful when people try to leverage Paul and Peter's arguments and make a, a parallel to what guys like me do. It's, it's just risky. The parallel here has to do with Paul's willingness to give up his right in order to serve. If I follow that, then I would work for free. So if, if I take it to the money part. But what I need to do, all of us need to do, is understand that sometimes for the glory of God in the reaching of the lost, we don't exercise all of our rights. We take the responsibility entrusted to us. We'll see that as we go on. I'm not writing these things, verse 15, so that it will be done so in my case. It would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. <clears throat> for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I not preach the gospel. In other words, I am called. It, 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 Paul Paul says, my doing this is not so you pay me. It is my life. For me not to do what I do, but to be in disobedience of God. It is everything for me to serve God. Now, I will tell you, that I identify with. And regardless, you know, of, of, even if I didn't get paid, I, I would still preach the gospel. Not here. <laughs> Somewhere where it's not quite as hard. But don't get any ideas. Just say, do it for free. Not here. Don't do it for free here. To clarify. The priority. And, and the word preach the gospel in the Greek, it's the word euangelion, basically, it's the gospel. It's to gospelize the gospel. It's the good news, the good news. It's, a, it's really, it's the noun and the verb together. I'm going 
I'm going to be preaching the gospel. I'm going to be gospelizing the gospel. The good news is everything. Remember I shared that with you Sunday when we started Mark? Don't raise your hands, but how many? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have already read Mark? Don't raise your hand. I said it three times. Don't raise your hand. But, but read that thing. I don't mean 20 years ago. I mean, read it. Remember I said be fluent in Mark. Right? Just, just get it. The gospel is everything. No, verse 17, I love this. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. This is a complicated. What he's saying is this. If I just came to you and volunteered to preach the gospel, I would probably expect pay. But because I am compelled, because the Holy Spirit working in me, I have no choice. It is a stewardship. The word stewardship comes from a word that means the household manager. It is my responsibility. What Paul is saying this, I preach to you because I am responsible for you. And if I take money from you, at Corinth, it's going to negatively impact my preaching. People are going to think he does it just for money. You know, by the way, in the first century, people preached the gospel for money all the time. They do it today, too. All those guys in white suits on TV with bad hair. And all of them, you know, telling you that if you will send them money, they'll send you their handkerchief they sweat on. Listen, if you want that, I got, I got a paper. I got it right here. You give me 20 bucks, it's yours. It's always been the case. So he says, verse 18, what then is my reward? This is beautiful. That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the good news without charge so as not to make full use of my right as the gospel. Wow. He just, I love it. Paul just hammers. I love it when Paul does that. I love it when a good preacher just hammers the opposition. He says, I have the right to do that, to take it. You're criticizing me, but I cast that right apart to the side because I am compelled by Christ to preach to you. Can't argue with that. They can't on that merits. So remember, gosh, normally time flies. And today it's, it's dragging. Remember what I was going to say. So we have to remember that our rights that we have aren't as important as our responsibility to God and to people. That should trump everything else. Verse 19. For though I am free for all men, from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, a servant, 
so that I might win more. It's beautiful. <clears throat> to the Jews, I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those from the law. In other words, to the Jewish people, I'm Jewish. I, I, I'm a Jew. I, I, I connect with them. Those who are hung up on the 613 laws, all right, I'm not under them, but, but, but I will, sake of reaching them, connect with them that way. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul gets arrested. He gets arrested for going to the temple. He went in the temple because James said, go in there and pay for the vow of these two guys. That way they'll know you're serious about not cutting off the Jews. Paul did that. Now he wasn't obligated to. He served that way, got him arrested, ultimately sent to Rome. To those without the law, Gentiles, it's without law. They're not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak. Then I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. And then here's the reason for it all, verse 23. I'm closing with this first time. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. I do everything for the sake of the gospel. Does our church do everything for the sake of the gospel? Do you in your Christian experience do everything for the sake of the gospel so that you might partake of the gospel so that you might share in the lives of the people who come to Christ. I shared this before. <clears throat> At Epic Sunday, Debbie and I were sitting out there during the baptism. And all those baptisms and all the child dedication and all the people there. And I looked at her and I said, we have spent our life for moments like this. Yeah. Everything in 41 years of ministry is always worth it for those moments. That's what we live for. That's what you live for. And with that, there's no such thing as a bad short sermon. God bless you.